Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. So nice to see everybody. Good morning. Good morning, church family. Everybody watching online, hello. Can we give a big round of applause for them just to make them feel welcomed? We know you're not here in the building, but you're here with us in our hearts, and we just love you guys. So, I love that last song of worship, Reckless Love. And it just it paints this picture of God recklessly chasing us, pursuing us. And we saw that last week, that God has chosen to initiate a relationship with you. He has chosen to pursue you with his love. And he does this not based on what we do, what we don't do. He ba- this is based on who he is. And what's even more amazing, Scripture tells us that he does this while we were still sinners. Why each and every one of us were still sinners, he sent his one and only son to die for you to die for me and quite frankly it doesn't make any sense but I am so glad he did it amen so we are in week four of our sold out summer series we are in week two of our little two-part series in the book of Romans and I just want to give a quick preface on the notes Um, the points aren't on the notes so it's just a blank sheet and Romans 12.1 is listed on there, but we're actually going to be looking at Romans 12, and we're going to be uh, exploring 4 through 8. Um, but you can just jot down your notes and kind of follow along as we go. So um, last week, we talked about the, the what and the why. We talked about what it looks like to live a sold-out life, and we talked about why we are to live a sold-out life. And this week, we are going to look at the how. How does God equip us to be able to live a sold-out life? And then we're going to look and explore at some reasons that maybe keep us from going all in for the message and mission of Jesus. So before we get rolling, before we get started, I just want to do a quick little summary, a quick little recap, a quick little refresher of what we talked about last week. I am going to try to take that, you know, I think it was 50, 55 minute sermon. I am going to try to scrunch it and squeeze it into about five to seven minutes. So I'm going to, I'm going to move fast. If you weren't here last week, you can uh, jump on our app. All of our messages are on the app, or you can download our podcast if you like to listen in your car, and you can listen to all the messages there, all right? We ready? All right, so I told you last week, the, the, the hope, the prayer, the heart behind this entire summer series is that we would be a church, we would be a people that are completely sold out for the things of God, that we would be sold out 100% in for the message and mission of Jesus. We saw that he gives us each a great command, he gives us each a great commission. That great command is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. We are to love him with everything we have and everything we've got. That great commission is we are to go, make disciples, make followers of Jesus in all the nations. And when he says nations there, he doesn't mean just going to different countries. We learn that he is talking about all the different people groups in this world because the gospel message, God's gift of salvation is for everyone. 
no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your background, the color of your skin, it is for every single person. We saw that Jesus is not looking for lukewarm Christianity. He is not looking for us to have a balanced and moderate approach when it comes to following Him. He is looking for us to be all in, 100% sold out. Do you guys remember that number we talked about, that big number? What was it? 3.2 billion people in this world are unreached, meaning they do not know Jesus. They have not heard the name Jesus. They don't know what he has done for us. They have no access to the gospel message. There are people in our city, there are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, at our work, at our schools, that don't know Jesus that haven't accepted him as their personal Lord and Savior, that have not heard the gospel message. The task is too big, guys, for us to be halfway in. As the church, as believers, we need to be all in to sharing the message of Jesus and what he has done for us. We spent all last week, our whole, whole sermon was on Romans 12, 1. And it is a word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul, who no doubtedly lived his life all out for the gospel message, amen? And he is encouraging us, he is pleading with us to do the same. We looked at the what. What does it look like to live a sold-out life for Jesus? I'm going to read 12.1 to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. So what does it look like to live a sold-out life? We offer God our bodies, all of ourselves. We offer Him our feet to go where He tells us to go. We offer Him our hands to do the work He's called us to do. We offer Him our tongues to speak His love, His truth, and speak the gospel message. We offer Him our minds so we can begin to transform our minds. And we begin to think like God thinks, love the thing God loves, desire the things God desires. And through the transforming of our mind, we are better able to discern his will for our life. We are to do this as a living sacrifice, meaning we do this every single day of our life. We have to make a daily commitment to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. And this is to be an offering that is holy and pleasing. Now this doesn't mean that we need to clean ourselves up, that we need to do something to make ourselves right before we can offer ourselves to God. What this means is we give God our first. We give God our best. The first of our time, the first of our talents, the first of our resources, the first of our energy. We do not give God our leftovers. We looked at the why. Why do we do this? Why do we live a sold out life for Jesus? First, it is our true and proper way to worship God. We don't just worship God on Sundays, people. We worship God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We worship God with our everyday, ordinary, walking around, going to school, going to work lives. We, also, we worship God with our time, with our talents, with our resources, with the way we spend our energy. We worship God at work, by the way, doing our jobs faithfully and with integrity. We worship God when we take care of our families and play with our kids. We are to worship God every single day, and everything we do to, should be for the glory of God. Second reason why is in light of everything God has done for us. Paul directs us to the mercies of God. 
And what he's saying is, in light of everything that's been done for you, go all in. And we spent some time unpacking everything God has done for us, listed from Romans 1 through 11. I don't have time to go through all of that, so I am going to try to do kind of a quick elevator speech version of this. So I'm going to move quick, and I'm going to take a sip of water before I roll, okay? I love you, Declan. We were all sinners. And at just the right time, when we were utterly helpless to save ourselves, God sent his one and only son. And through his death, we are forgiven of our sins. And through his resurrection, we have been justified. We have been made right with God. And he has credited us with the righteousness of Jesus, meaning he no longer looks at you, he no longer looks at me by our past sins, by our past mistakes, but he looks at you, he looks at me like he looks at his son, Jesus. He looks at us as we are sinless and blameless and we have lived the life that Jesus has lived. And because we have been made right with God, we are at peace with God. No longer do we stand guilty. No longer do we stand condemned. But we stand in a place of grace before God. We stand in his presence and his undeserved love and favor. And we have been given a new identity. We are now sons and daughters of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. Meaning that we will inherit the riches and glory of the heavenly kingdom. And this is all given to us as a free gift. I started with this, but he has chosen to pursue us with his love. He has chosen to initiate a relationship with us. And this has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with him. And Paul tells us, in light of all of that, in light of everything God has done, it is only reasonable, it is only rational, it is only logical that we would go all in for him. He has given us everything, and it only makes sense that we would respond in a similar fashion and offer everything we have to God. So we have looked at the, the what. What does a sold-out life look like? We have looked at the why. Why should we live a sold-out life? And today I just want to explore the, the how. How does God equip us to live a sold-out life? So if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please open them. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. If you do it over your phone, turn on your Bibles. Let us read. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. The first thing we see how God equips us, he equips us with the church community. He equips us with a body of believers. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has given each and every one of you, each and every one of us, something to do. And Jesus has given us somewhere to go. And that is out into the world to make followers of him, out into the world to share the gospel message. But I've got good news. He doesn't call us, he doesn't ask us to do it alone. In fact, he doesn't design us to do it alone. When he created man, he said, it is not 
good for man to be alone. God has equipped us with a church community, with a church body, and we are together called to live a sold-out life for the message and mission of Jesus. We do this together. And I've got a news flash. I've got a little secret for you. I am not good at everything. Nobody's shocked? Come on. And I'm going to go on a limb and say, <laughs> either are you guys, right? We all have different giftings. We all have different skills. We all have different talents. We all have different life experiences. We all have different backgrounds. And we are called to take those things, bring them into a community of believers, bring them into this church body, and we are to use those to serve one another and to serve the Lord. Each and every one of us has a role, has a function, has a part in this body. And that part, that role you play is exactly where God wants you and is exactly where God and how God has designed you to be. And not one of those parts is more important than another one. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the eyes can't say to the hands, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, we don't need you. And I'm here to tell you, church family, Cornerstone, we need you. We need each and every one of you to bring your gifts, to bring your talents, to bring your skills, to bring your resources, to bring your background, your experience, and use it. And we are to use it as a church body, as a church family, to proclaim the message of Jesus. And I want to just speak from the heart here, because I want each and every one of you to just know how, how dearly loved you are, how dearly you needed, you, how dearly needed you are in this church family. So I just want to share with you guys how you have equipped me to live a more all-in life for Jesus. How you have equipped me and strengthened my faith and helped me grow my relationship with Jesus. Every Sunday almost, one of you comes up to me and you speak words of encouragement, you speak words of life, you speak words of support, you share things that God has placed on your heart for me. You share promises that God wants to give to me. You tell me you're praying for me. And I can't tell you how impactful and how important that is in my life. And I want to just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for being obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do. It, it takes courage. It takes boldness sometimes to step out like that. And I appreciate every time one of you do that. Thank you. Every Tuesday night, I meet with a small group, about five to seven people from the church, and we've been doing it, it was right after uh, the shutdown, so we were up to two years now, and we meet every Tuesday night, and we just walk through scripture, we read the Bible, we talk about it, we share how, it's, how God's speaking to us, we share our insights on God's word, we share struggles, hardships, difficulties we're going through, we pray for one another. We text each other throughout the week, hey, you know, can you pray for this? Can you pray for that? When somebody's in need or going through a hard time or just, just super busy, we, we bring meals to each other sometimes. And I can't tell you how important those Tuesday nights are for growing my faith, strengthening my relationship, and just refreshing my soul. 
And I, a lot of you guys know my story, and Pastor Greg talked about it a little bit. But the way you showed up, the way this family, the way this community showed up when I was walking through some of the most difficult things I've ever gone through, losing my brothers, it was you guys, it was you, the church, it was this church body that you guys just showered us with your love, showered us with words of encouragement. I can remember sitting right there and the whole congregation just laying hands on me and my family. And I can't tell you how powerful that was to just feel your presence, feel the presence of the Holy Spirit just comforting us. It was like just a, getting a big hug. You guys brought my family, all of us, you came in droves bringing us food and providing for us. I think I had meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for almost two weeks. I was feeding my whole neighborhood. The love, the support, the provision just came and kept coming, and I am so thankful. I don't think I get through it. I don't think my family gets through that without the love and support of this church family. So I thank you, and I want to give you this word of encouragement. We need you. We are called to do this together as a body of believers, and every part of this body is important, and we need each and every one of you to be all in if this church is to be obedient to the message of Jesus. It is all hands on deck, people. All right? Second way we see he equips us. He gives each of us a spiritual gift. I just want to hone in just for a second on that word gives. What a loving, generous, giving God we serve. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not a yourself, but it is a what? It is a gift from God. God gifts us with his grace, his undeserved love and privilege in our life. He gifts us with salvation. He saves us. He forgives our sins. And even our faith is a gift from God. James 1.7 says that every good and perfect gift is from God. Above And here we see he gives each and every one of us a spiritual gift to serve one another and to serve him. So, let's read Romans 12, 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesizing, then prophesize in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead... Do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In chapter 12, Paul tells us, he gives us seven spiritual gifts. Now this is by no means an exhaustive list. There's not one place in scripture where they're all listed. You see seven here. 1 Corinthians 12 lists some. Ephesians 4 lists some. And I encourage you guys to take a look this week in your quiet time. Maybe read through those. There's about 22 spiritual gifts. And God has given each and every one of us at least one. And so today, I, we're not going to spend a ton of time on each gift. I just want to talk briefly about them. And my hope is that just begin to kind of get the brain working, get the heart stirring, and that you might hear something like, you know what, I, I feel like I might have a gifting in that area. Or you know what, so-and-so, I think they have a gifting in that area. And I just want to get us st to start thinking if maybe you don't know your spiritual gift. The first one listed, prophecy. Now this has a few different meanings in scripture. Prophecy can mean predicting or telling the future what you see the Old Testament prophets do. 
I got to be honest, this is kind of how I always thought about it in my head. Um, but there are other places in Scripture where it seems to mean the proclamation of God's Word. This might be what a teacher or a pastor does. They're, they're revealing God's Word, but they're not giving any new revelation. They're just proclaiming the Word of God that has already been revealed to us in Scripture. Still, in some places, it seems to me that when God places a word of encouragement or exhortation on, on our hearts, and he, and he calls us to share that with somebody. An example of that might be, you know, God just, you just feel like he's really sharing something with you. There's, there's something he wants you to give to another believer. And anytime you, you kind of, you get that prompting, I encourage us to, to really take that in humility and just never claim that we are speaking with the, the weight and the authority of Scripture, but rather we are just a mouthpiece sharing what God has put on our heart. And in this particular passage, that seems to, me, seems to be what Paul is referring to. So sometimes God will give you, give me, a word of encouragement, maybe a word of warning, maybe a word of guidance, maybe a promise he wants you to share with somebody, and he asks us to go share that with somebody. And I think this is something as a church, as, as believers, we need to be really in tune with, really, really sensitive when the Holy Spirit is prompting us to do that. And I, I think we should pray and we should ask that God would just, hey, is there a word, is there something I can speak into somebody's life? Because you guys have done it with me, and I already kind of shared that. And it is so powerful, so impactful, and it, it really is just an encouraging word. So I, again, I thank you for those who have that gift and have stepped out in faith and used that gift. Second gift we see is serving. Now the word here, it kind of just means practical, practical service. These people are, tend to be good at just kind of the real practical tasks, sometimes even administrative tasks. And I love how Paul puts it right after prophecy, because prophecy sometimes, it's a little bit more public a gift. Sometimes it can be a little bit more acclaimed, if you will, and serving, especially in our culture, we kind of downplay it. We don't really value serving and service anymore. But what an important value in the kingdom of God. Jesus himself, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to what? I came to serve. People with this gift, I kind of call them, they're just the people that get stuff done. They see a need, they anticipate a need, and they just act. They don't need a whole lot of prompting. They just kind of have their eyes looking on ways they can serve, ways they can help, and they just do. They don't need a lot of applause. They don't need a lot of you know, thank you. They just want to serve and act and help people. The next gift we see, teaching. Now, you can be a gifted teacher and it doesn't necessarily mean you're a gifted preacher and vice versa. You can be a gifted preacher and it doesn't necessarily mean you're a gifted teacher. They're, they're a little bit different. Teachers just have that ability to unpack scripture. They make it clear. They make it understandable. They have a really uh, just a, a good way of explaining God's word so we can understand it and then we can apply it. I always think of, uh, I share this in first service, Miss Ali or some of the, the people that serve in J.C. Park. I'm always kind of blown away because they're able to just take God's word and they just simplify it so those little kids can understand it. And my kids come home and they just, they speak scripture to me and they're giving, they give lessons to me. I'm like, wow. And they just have this ability to really just kind of simplify God's word. Gift of encouragement or exhortation. These people have the ability to lift people up, give guidance, sometimes give advice. People with this gift, they have this ability to kind of evoke passion. They're able to take God's word and kind of turn it into an action plan and kind of unite the believers behind that to act. And they're often able to do it, by, not in a condemning way, but in a very encouraging, uplifting, that motivates us to do something. 
That's actually the word Paul's using when he says urge. He's giving us a word of encouragement, of an exhortation to say, hey guys, do this. Gift of giving. Now we are all called to give, right? We are all called to be generous. But there are some people that just look for ways to give beyond normal measures. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be wealthy. A lot of times it's just average means people and they just have this, this, this gifting in giving of their time, of their talents, giving of their energy, giving of their resources. When they give, they're, also, they're often very wise in their gifting. And their gifts tend to, spend, tend to bear a lot of spiritual fruit. Gift of leading. Leaders, they, they have this ability to get people to follow them. They have the ability to put a vision in front of people and inspire people to act. Gift of mercy. These people just have this ability. They, they're able to sense the needs of people around them. They have a heart for the sick, a heart for the poor, a heart for the broken. A heart for those that maybe need counseling. A heart for the mentally ill, for the addicted. And they just have this ability. They, they know what to say, when to say it. Sometimes they know what not to say. They have a heart and they have compassion for the hurt. And I love that word compassion. It means to co-suffer. Compassion is not just a feeling. We are to partner with people in their suffering. We are to act to help alleviate that suffering and people with the gift of mercy they have that ability they have a special quality to be able to do that and then i'm going to throw one like bonus one in there um it's not listed in the the spiritual gifts but paul listed in romans uh, 12 13 he says each and every one of us should practice hospitality and i absolutely think there are people that just are gifted with hospitality they have they love to open up their homes they love to share meals with people. But that word hospitality, it means love of strangers. And people with this gift, they have, that, they have this ability to take outsiders and make them feel like insiders. Take strangers and make them feel like friends. You might hear people say, ah, oh, you know what, so-and-so, they got the gift of gab. They can talk to anybody. Everywhere they go, they make a friend. You know what I call that? That is the gift of hospitality. And if that's you today, I encourage you. Where can you use that gift? We, we would love to have you on the, the Greek team, welcoming people, because that's what we're called to do, take outsiders and make them feel like insiders, right? That's what Jesus did for us. We're all technically Gentiles, right? For the most part. And God brought each and every one of us into his family. We were all outsiders and he brought us in. We are, all, we are all at one time enemies, and now we are friends of Jesus. So if you have the gift of hospitality, use it. Well, let's remember, we are all called to bring people inside to the family of God. So we have talked about the, what it looks like, why we should go all in, how God equips us. And I jumped ahead here, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit oops so maybe you know your spiritual gift and I, if you do I pray that you're using it every day to serve each other and serve the Lord but if you don't know your spiritual gift I want to just give a couple quick ways in which we can maybe begin to discern that first thing pray study this the spiritual gifts listed in scripture and ask God ask the Holy Spirit to kind of just start to discern 
where you might be gifted. I think a little self-evaluation is helpful. Ask yourself some questions. What am I good at? What do I like to do? What ministries get me excited? Ask yourself, are there specific needs that you, you're a little bit more sensitive to? Maybe you feel a burden for the poor. Maybe you feel a burden for the, for the sick, for the hurting. Maybe you feel a, a burden for those that need counseling and guidance. Maybe it just bugs you and you just notice when things aren't done. You notice when things are disorganized. The very needs that you are sensitive to might be the very needs that God is calling you to fill. Experience. Jump in, start serving. Find a ministry to plug into. Sometimes the best way to see what we're good at is simply just trying different things. And you might jump in and there's going to be things you might find that, you know what, I'm not really good at that. But you might plug yourself into something and find that you have a spiritual gift that you would have never thought. Maybe you volunteer in kids' ministry. And you would have never, you felt uncomfortable around kids. You never would have thought, and then you get in there and you just, you just, you're able to love on them and teach them. Jump in. Start serving. Get into a ministry. And start to discern what, what things you're good at. The last one. Ask somebody that's close to you. Ask somebody you do life with. Sometimes we have giftings and we're almost like we're too close to them and we can't see the things we are gifted at. And sometimes we're thinking maybe we don't have any gifts and somebody else is like, are you kidding me? You were, you were gifted in this, you're gifted in this. So ask those close to you. And I want to encourage you guys to, to step out in faith. If, if God has placed somebody on your heart today during this message and you're just like, you know what, so-and-so, I really think so-and-so has got the gift of service. Or I really think so-and-so has got this gift. Stop and tell them after church. How many know that, that 15 minutes after service, before you leave, man, there is some powerful ministry that can happen there, huh? And if they're not here today, shoot them a text. Share with people. Hey, I think you're gifted in this. There is something powerful when we know our gifts and we begin to walk and use those gifts to serve the Lord. And so three quick, spirits, three quick truths about spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us has been given one. You all have at least one spiritual gift to serve each other and serve the Lord. Because we've been given them, we are called to use them. If you know your gift and you're not using it, start using your spiritual gifts. And we are to do it diligently and cheerfully. We need to use our spiritual gifts with, with passion, with drive. We are to do, use them every single day and we should do it with a cheerful, joyful heart because for the believer there should be no greater joy than serving one another and serving the Lord. So I want to look at just some things. We've looked at the, the why, or the how, the why, the, and the how. I'm mixing that up. Try that again. We looked at the what, the why, and the how. All right. So what keeps us from going all in? And I just kind of jotted down a few. Fear. It can be scary to offer God a blank check and say, I will go where you tell me to go, and I will do what you tell me to do. And some of that fear comes from, we don't like to give up control, do we? But I want to remind you, church, that we serve a God who has a plan, who has a purpose, and a will for your life. And we saw it in Romans 2, his will is perfect and pleasing. We serve a God that works all things for the good of those who love him. So whatever he is calling you to do, whatever he is asking you to do, it is what is very best 
for you. And the Lord always knows what is best. Maybe there's a fear of failure. Maybe you're, you feel called to start a Bible study or a ministry, and you're like, ah, what if nobody shows up? Ooh. I kind of lost my place there. Sometimes there's a fear of what he's asking you to do is just flat out scary. He calls you, he asks you to do something, it's scary, and you just flat out don't want to do it. I remember a couple years back, I was, at a, I was at a Starbucks. This was probably three, four years ago. And I was, I just kind of had just jumped into, I had renewed my relationship with Jesus, we'll say that. And I had just kind of started getting to his word and growing in my relationship. And I'm at the Starbucks and I'm reading my Bible. And I look over, there's another gentleman reading his Bible and I'm reading, and I just feel this prompting that, that God's telling me to go share what I was reading. And I was reading in the book of John, chapter 17, and, and I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> Not going to do it. And so I kind of keep putting it off, and I go in the bathroom, and I'm like looking in the mirror, and I'm like trying to get myself pumped up to do it. I'm like, just go do it. And I walk out, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. So I leave. I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I get in the car, and I'm sitting there in the car with my hands on the wheel, and I'm like, you got to do it. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I just knew in my heart, I'm like, if you don't go do it, this is going to drive you crazy. And then I started kind of negotiating myself. I'm like, well, you got a busy day. You'll just, it'll, you'll just kind of forget and, and move on. And don't we do that? We distract ourselves sometimes instead of doing what the Lord is calling us to do. So with that, I would encourage you, when he's telling you to do something, we need to act immediately. But anyway, so I work up the courage and I, I get outside the car and I, I go to the front door. And I go to open the door, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. And I walk back again, and I'm literally pacing back and forth. People probably think I'm a crazy person. Like, what is this guy doing? And I'm sitting out there, and no joke, I'm like trying to pump myself up. Like, I'm going into a boxing match. I'm like, come on, go, go. So I go in, I go up to this, this gentleman, and I'm like, I have no idea what to say. And I'm like, uh, the Lord just, I feel like he's telling me I should just tell you I was reading John chapter 17. Like, that's all I had. And he's like, he looks at me, and he's like, oh, awesome, man. I love John chapter 17. And we start to begin to talk, and, and, and he's kind of talking with me, and he's very warm, he's very welcoming. And he thanks me. He's like, thank you for being obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do. And he goes, here's my card. And he hands me his card, and I look down. He's the lead pastor at Canyon Ridge. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh. This, this, this Bambi Christian coming up to him, like, oh. But what I learned in that story, and I really don't think that that word was for that pastor. And I'm, gonna, I'm confident in saying that because I didn't actually have a word for him. I just told him I was reading my Bible. But I think God was testing. I think God was putting me in a place and giving me an opportunity to exercise my faith, to exercise my obedience. How many know faith is like a muscle? And the more we work it out, the more we use it, the stronger it gets. Because each and every time we step out in faith, we step out in obedience to what the Lord is calling us to do, our faith becomes to get a little stronger, we gain a little bit more trust, and we were like, okay, that wasn't so bad. God is with me. He's right there with me. And so I really think he was putting me in a place to exercise my faith. And then the second thing I learned from that 
If God calls you to do something, he does not just put up his hands and walk away. If God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do what he has called you to do. We see that in the life of Moses. Moses was in, you know, wandering in the desert for 40 years. And God comes up to him and he says, I want you to go to Pharaoh. And I want you to tell him to let my people go. I want you to go to the, one of the most powerful people in the world and tell, give him this message. And he's like, God, you know, I'm not so good at speaking. I get a little flustered. I get a little tongue-tied. And what does he tell Moses? He says, I will be with you. I will put the words in your mouth. So if God calls you people, he will equip you to do what he is asking you to do. So I'm going to ask you this question. Is there something God's calling you to do? Is there something God's asking you to do? And fear is in your way. And I encourage you to take a step of faith and be obedient to what the Lord is calling you to do, knowing and understanding that he will be right there with you. Second thing, we don't think we have anything to offer to God. Maybe you're like, you know what, I want to go in, all in. What do I have to give? I don't have anything to offer to God. I don't have anything useful to give God. What can he do with what I have to give? And I want to remind you, there are stories all throughout the Bible of people that offered God the little bit that they had, and he took that and he multiplied it. We see that. We saw it a couple weeks ago in our Mother's Day sermon. We looked at the life of Elijah. And Elijah calls him and he says, Hey, go to Zarephath. There's a widow that I have called to provide for you. And he finds her. And she's gathering sticks and he says, Can you bring me some water and a, a little bit of bread? And she says to Elijah, She's like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to give you, Elijah. She says, Well, I got a little handful of flour, I got a little bit of oil. And actually, I was about to just make that for me and my son, and we were about to die. And just for a little context, they were in the middle of a three-and-a-half-year drought. So food and resources were scarce. Elijah says, don't be afraid. He says, you do what you were going to go do. But before you do, make me, a, make me a small loaf of bread. Make me a little bit of bread. And this is what the Lord says. That that little bit of flour, that little bit of oil, will not run out until the Lord sends rain. And that woman was obedient. She made that bread she gave that little bit she had to elijah and the lord provided for elijah provided for that woman and her family until he sent rain for three years he took that little bit of flour that little bit of oil and provided we see it when jesus feeds the five thousand they're wondering how they're going to feed all these people and andrew brings a little boy and says well he's got five loaves of bread and two fish and he says but i don't know what good that's going to do what good is that little bit going to do to feed all these people and we all know how that story ends, right? Jesus takes that little bit that was given in faith and he feeds the 5,000 and they have leftovers. And so the point I am making here, don't for a second discredit, disregard what you have to give to God. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant it seems to you, in faith, give it to God. Offer everything you have to God and watch him work. He, he can take that little bit you give him. And he can not only bless your life, but he will bless the lives around you. Give it all to God. Third way. Distraction. Sometimes we're just too distracted. Parable of the sower of the seed. Jesus is describing the hearts of different people. And one of those hearts he describes, it's, it's the person who is open and receptive to hearing God's word. That word even begins to take root in their life. But then it is choked out. 
by the worries of this world. It's choked out by the stresses and the day-to-day -day things we got to worry about. It was choked out about the lure of wealth, the pursuit of success. And maybe you've been there before where you're here on a Sunday and the Lord's calling you to do something. He puts something on your heart and you're excited, you're pumped up, you just heard from the Lord, you're like, yeah, Monday I'm all in. Monday comes and first thing you do, you check your phone, check your email. Maybe an email comes through, you start thinking about work. And you get ready, rush off to work. Maybe you got to take the kids to practice. Come home, do homework, make dinner, clean dinner, do bedtime. By the time the day's done, maybe you got a half hour, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, and you just want to kind of plop down and veg, watch some TV. And this some, sometimes can just be on rinse and repeat, can it? And sometimes we're not just, we're not just flat out being disobedient. Sometimes we just get too distracted to answer the call that God has for our lives. I was reading this article and they were talking about this form of torture. Kind of a weird transition, but. And they have these, this person tied and they tie all four limbs and they tie them to a horse and they, they just let the horse go. You guys seen Braveheart, right? And they're right, pulling them apart. You know what the word the French use for that form of torture? Distraction. It literally means death by being pulled apart. And can it feel like that? We have so many things pulling at us, pulling for our time, pulling for our energy, pulling for our focus. We, we, have, we have family to take care of, right? We have work to take care of. We have those those day-to-day -day stresses and worries to take care of. We have what's going on in the world, social media, our, our phones, and we have all these things just pulling at us. And sometimes we want to yell out like William Wallace, freedom! And so what are some ways we can start to reduce some distractions in our life this week so we can begin to be more obedient to what the Lord is calling us to do? If you're stressed, if you're distracted by stress and worry and those day-to-day -day things, what does Jesus tell us to do? It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So instead of spending your time, and I don't want to discredit your, your worries and your stresses, we all have them, but instead of spending time worrying and being anxious about it, why don't we try taking that time and spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, and watch what he starts to do with that time we give him. And I don't think I can mention distractions without talking about these little puppies. I think we'd agree these are probably one of the most distracting things in our life, right? I read an article, eight, we check our phone on average 81,000 times per year. That's once every four minutes. Kind of reminds me when you keep checking the fridge, looking for food, like more food's going to be in there. You're like, dude, you just checked it two minutes ago. And I'll do that at night sometimes with my phone. I'm like, what do you, what do you think happened in 35 seconds? Nothing. Put your phone down. And I always have this thought. And I, and I pray this, and I should pray it every day. I try to. And I hope that you guys are praying this. But we pray that, Lord, I want to be your hands and feet today. Place somebody in my life that I can speak to, that I can share the gospel with. Put them in my path. And then I start my day, and I go to Starbucks, and Instead of looking at the barista, I'm looking at my phone. I'm in the waiting room, and instead of looking around, I'm looking at my phone. You go to lunch with somebody, and we've all done that. You have your phone right off to the side, right? We can't just help to just keep 
glancing at it. And I just wonder, is God putting people in our life? Is he trying to do something in front of us? And our heads are down. And we're not seeing what God's trying to do right here. God is trying to put people in our lives that we can share the love of Christ with, that we can encourage, that we can share the gospel with. And sometimes we just need to pick up our heads and look around. We need to make ourselves available to the people around us. You'll hear this in sports sometimes. The greatest ability is availability. So how can we move some distractions this week and make ourselves more available to sharing the word of God with people around us? And I want to close with this point. Maybe one of the reasons we don't go all in, maybe one of the things that are keeping us from living a sold-out life for Jesus, has the gospel become commonplace in our life? Paul spends 11 chapters telling us about the gospel. 11 chapters sharing with us the mercies of God. 11 chapters sharing with us what God has done for you and me. And in chapter 12, there's a hinge point that therefore marks like a, a second part of Romans. And from Romans 12 to 16, he begins to tell us what we should now do. And so I wonder, if we're not willing to do that do, is it maybe because we've lost sight of what has been done? Are we taking for granted what has been done? Has what has been done for you and me just become commonplace in our life? Sometimes as believers, we can look at the gospel as mainly a message for unbelievers. It is a message that unbelievers need to hear, and when they hear it, then they put their, their faith in Jesus. It is a message on how you come to Christ. I heard a pastor put it this way. We can look at the gospel as the diving board in which we jump off of into the Christian life. And once we hear the gospel and we say Jesus, we move on to other teachings, other biblical principles. But the gospel isn't just the diving board, people. The gospel is the entire pool in which we as believers need to immerse and submerge ourselves in every single day. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the only thing that makes us right with God. The gospel is the only thing that can free us from the bondage of sin. The gospel is the only thing that can save us from death. The gospel is the only thing that can give us eternal life. The gospel is the only thing that can defeat the evil and the wickedness we see in this world. The gospel is the message that each and every one of us have been given, has, has received. And the gospel message is what we are called to go out and share with the world. God has equipped us with a body of believers. He has equipped us with a community. He has equipped us with the Holy Spirit that boldens us and empowers us to live out his will. And he has given each and every one of you a spiritual gift that you can use to serve the church, you can use to serve the Lord, and you can use to share the gospel message with the world. And in closing, I would be remiss not to uh, offer that gift to you guys. The gospel is a gift given to us by God. The gospel shows us how to be right with God. And we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are.
God has given us the gift of his grace, his undeserved love and privilege. God has given us the gift of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. God has gifted us with eternal life. We get to spend eternity with God in heaven where there'll be no more pain, no more hurt, no more sorrow, no more tears. This is all a free gift offered to us by a loving, giving, and generous God. And the only thing you need to do to receive this gift is accept it. It is on the table. It is sitting right in front of you, available to everyone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your sins, your past mistakes, your past failures. God's gift of salvation, God's gift of eternal life is free to everyone. And the only thing you need to do is receive it, to proclaim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that he died on that cross for your forgiveness of your sins, and that he rose again so you might be justified and made right in the eyes of the Lord. So if we could all just close our eyes, bow our heads, nobody looking around. If you haven't received this gift and you want to, I'm just going to count to three and give everybody an opportunity to receive the gift of salvation, receive eternal life. One, two, three. Just raise your hand if you want to accept that gift. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. And with eyes closed, I just ask that we just pray this prayer. And everybody can pray it. And you don't have to say it out loud. There's no magic formula to this prayer. It is just a declaring that you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So we can all just pray this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask that you forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus came for me. He came to die for me and he rose again so that I could be born again and live a life for you. I pray that you fill me. Fill me with your spirit so I can know you, Lord, so I can serve you, so I can follow you. I know that my life is not my own, but it is yours. Today, I give my life to you. My faith is in you, and in you I know I am more than enough. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to save me. Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. God bless you. Again, I encourage you. God has equipped us with one another. He's equipped you with giftings and talents and skills. And I just pray that each and every one of us would use those to serve one another and to serve the Lord. Amen, guys. I love you. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, you can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with friends, share it with family, help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.